So Shivan, um, maybe explain your background and how you got it to be a venture capitalist. Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks, Alex. Uh, my name's Shervin, um, Shervin Gwen-Megami. I am an investor with F-Prime Capital, and um, I've been in that role for, for a little while. I've been in venture for about 10 years, um, uh, originally from the UK, which is where I am now. I'm on the outskirts of London, and I've been here since the lockdown. Um, came to the US for grad school. I was a chemical engineer, and uh, Kind of found my way into venture actually uh stumbled into it um uh firstly with a firm called polaris partners um where i focused a lot on what would now be called sort of tough tech uh hardware oriented things um and then more recently uh, had the chance to start uh, the technology fund help start the technology fund uh, at f prime capital uh, where we focus uh, a lot on software um so i've been doing that for the past seven or eight years or so uh, while while we wait for Leron to join us, why don't you tell us what's your investment thesis at uh, F Prime? So what what type of deals do you like investing in? What's sort of the qualification? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we've been around about fifteen years. Um, uh, we uh, cover the waterfront in terms of sectors. Our roots are actually as a a, a firm focused on uh, the biotech space. Uh, so. Uh, we have a large number of companies in the, the focus on therapeutics, on med devices, on uh, healthcare service delivery. Uh, but more recently, over the last six or seven years, we've also branched out into kind of software as it affects different industry verticals. So it can be things like dev tools, it can be things like fintech, and it can be things like um, software targeting um, the lab or R&D space, which is kind of uh, how uh, how Liran and I met. Um, you know, by stage, we, we tend to focus on that are kind of earlier in their life cycle, so uh, seed through Series B, but we deviate on other sides, everything from company formation, where we've uh, brought teams together and funded them through to uh, much later stage investments, Series C and onwards. Great. And then I'll flip it to Liran so he can introduce himself. And, and hey everyone. Yeah. Can you hear Can you hear me? Perfectly. Sorry for the delay. I pressed the wrong button just before uh, this got started. Um, yeah. So. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Liron Bellanzon. I'm one of the co-founders and CEO of Benchside. Uh, at Benchside, we basically developed an AI technology to exponentially improve the speed and quality of life-saving research. And we do that by making preclinical experiments more successful. Um, Shervin uh, and the team at F-Prime led our B-Round, and we had the I had the privilege of working with him for the past uh, seven months. Excellent. Um, thanks. Thanks for the introduction. So I want to get to your relationship and get to the B-Round, but before that, help us, under, help us explain how the company came together and how you got involved. Yeah. So it, it's a very technical company, uh, basically in the intersection of biology and machine learning. I have a law degree and an MBA, so that's really not my background. And the way we all came together, so my three other co-founders are all PhD scientists. One of them are chief scientific, scientific officers to be a cancer researcher. The other two are computational biologists with a PhD. We all met each other through CDL, the Creative Destruction Lab at University of Toronto. So I was doing my MBA, um, and they were a startup uh, that formed or uh, incorporated a few weeks after um, get into the program. And as an MBA student, I was just really excited about what they did. I just read zero to one at that stage and really benched I, or the name back then, Synapse, really checked all the boxes. And I was super excited about what they did. 
And I thought I could add a lot of value to the company because it was three scientists with no uh, experience or background that basically found a solution to a very important problem and ended up joining the company as a co-founder. We did a pilot for a few months. It went well. And four and a half years later, now we're all raised over $40 million US and we're working with 12 of the top 20 pharmaceutical companies in the world. Wow. So it's been, it's a bit, been a busy four years and, and Shrivan joined about seven months ago. So, you know, would like to get a bit of that journey and understand how you, you know, how do you think about fundraising and, and you know, imagine Shrivan, you said you go from early to late. The B round was your first time you invested, right? Yes. So, so, so Leon, talk us about sort of what you had to do to get that B round and, and meet Shervin and then what you, th you thought about raising. So take, you know, I'll, I'll direct the questions if I have to, but let's go. Sounds good. So to answer that question, I think it's important to also talk about our experience raising our seed round. So when we raised our seed round, I think we did everything wrong. Um, we met with every VC that took a meeting. We met with every person in that partnership. Uh, we tried to build a relationship really early on and tell the story before it was ready to be told. And we probably went to try and raise a round uh, from VCs when we actually should have raised money from angels. So personally, it was just a really painful experience that started in January or February and finished in November of actually closing around. In between, there was an angel round. But when we got started, it was let's go raise from VCs. So when we did our A round a year and a half after uh, or 15 months after, uh, made a conscious decision that that's not going to happen again and spoke with both of our seed round investors, Golden Ventures and Real Ventures around what is the right approach to go about it. And then I learned that it doesn't have to take nine months and you shouldn't be going out and meeting with every VC and everyone in that uh, partnership as well and there's a much more strategic approach to it and if you do everything right and that's what i've experienced in the past in the a round and the b round it really shouldn't take more than three weeks to get a term sheet now it doesn't mean you don't have to put in the work two three months after to make sure sure your story is crisp and the data is ready and your customers are ready to talk to the vcs uh, but there's a way to really do it in three weeks plus a month to close, then turn into a three, six, nine, 12 month process that other companies experience. And a big part of it is actually not building prior relationships with the VCs, is doing the work yourself for two months, getting the data room ready, the story ready, <laughs> and getting that list of 30, 40 VCs you want to talk to with an assumption that every 10 meetings turn into one term sheet. Um, and you want to finish around with three, four term sheets so it can be competitive and you can create a market. And let's decide to try the DA round, which was very different than the seed experience. Uh, surprisingly, it worked. <laughs> and from those list of 40 VCs, we got around 30 meetings and in an insane three weeks where I basically moved to the Valley, um, had around 50 meetings, like first meeting, second meeting, third meetings. We got three or four term sheets, we got double the valuation that we thought we were going to get and closed around really fast. And that was a tier one investor. So uh, Google, the iPhone, ended up investing in the company and Inovia. That was really the experience uh, in the A. 
And because of that, I've learned that I shouldn't talk to VCs at all in between rounds because the story is not ready yet and still being written. And from the experience from the seed, especially every investor that we talked to at the beginning and heard the wrong story because it wasn't ready yet to be told, we just really could not change the conversation afterwards. It was really that um, first story. So didn't want to talk to anyone between rounds. And when we did the B round, <coughs> I'm going to interrupt you, Liron. There's actually a good question okay. from Bruce. He says you landed. You know, he says you landed meetings with 30 to 40 investors on your list. Yeah. You know, his question is, how do you get so many initial meetings? Yeah. So you get really good seed round investors. That's a reality. You get really good seed round investors. Uh, so we got Golden Ventures and Real Ventures and the four from the Valley. And when you do the work really well in early stages and you have good investors, all you need to do is just really make a list and they'll make the intros to you, to partners. Um, and when you get into the partner meaning, not the associate meaning, you actually save a few weeks as well. Um, there's actually, I actually give a talk about this around, there's actually a really simple process that people follow from C to B, um, which is you meet a partner within 48 hours, you hear back. If you don't, they don't want you to invest in you. After 48 hours, you get a second meeting with a partner. And then you hear back in 24 hours for a partnership meeting. And that happens the Monday following that or the week after. The same day, you're going to hear back. It's a yes or a no. And then you're going to do a week due diligence. And then you're going to get a term sheet. And that really should be the, the process. And it was like that with every VC that I met. And I had two Mondays where I had seven partner meetings each uh, when we did our A. I don't recommend that. But that was really the process that I've learned work between C and B. I don't know beyond that because we haven't done that yet. And I know that in C rounds, the relationships become much more important because it's bigger check. Uh, but it is C, A, and, and B, that works. So I assume you use a similar process for the B round. So surprisingly, the B round, um, I think a big factor of success is just being lucky. Um, we were actually supposed to raise our B round during COVID. Um, and we're supposed to do it in, in Q1, in January, February. That's where we're actually supposed to do it around. And um, instead, the board decided that, hey, why don't we have some friendly conversations in October? And maybe someone will do a preemptive, so basically invest before you go out and raise. So you, it's a bit like a dance. You go and say, well, I'm going to raise in a few months, but here's all the materials. Um, <laughs> I'm just talking to a few right now before I go out to the entire market. So I decided to try it. I personally did not like that process because I like to be all in or, or not do something at all. And what happened specifically with F Prime is that I actually did not even want to take the meeting because they F Prime invested in the company that we thought could be a potential competitor. Um, so one of our investors Google made an intro uh, to F Prime, and there was an email sent to me. Hey, would you like an intro? And before I even answered that email, saying no, the intro was already made. And I was like, okay, I guess I take a meeting with a uh, Shervin. <laughs> um, and we met. I didn't even have a deck back then. I think uh, I just told you the story, and I said this is really interesting. I told them, listen, the deck will be ready in around three weeks. That's where we're going to have some meetings. And Shervin said, well, tell me when the deck is ready. I want to come and see you guys in Toronto. Shervin was in Boston at the time. And Shervin came. Uh, we spent a day together, went for lunch, and then he said, I want to give you guys a trim sheet, but first you need to have a partner meeting. 
uh, when can you come? I said, well, actually next week I'm in San Francisco. I'm doing some friendly meetings before uh, we do our round in January. And went to San Francisco for a week. From San Francisco, flew to Boston um, to do the partner meeting. I think it was a Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. It was the first time the partner meeting was not on Monday. So it was on a Wednesday because it was uh, Halloween or something like that. I don't remember. We did the partner meeting and... (laughs) Uh, and we finished the partner meeting after me. After that, Shervin and I debriefed. We said it went great, and let me get back to you what uh, we have decided. And that was Halloween, and in, in October 31st, there was a terrible storm. I'm very scared of flying, uh, although I have to do it a lot. So I actually canceled my flight because there's no way I'm getting on a plane in this weather. <laughs> it take years off my life. And then Shervin, after I canceled the flight, he calls me and said, I think it was the day after, he called me. Hey, I want to come to Toronto to see you tomorrow. I said, like, you're you're in luck. I'm I'm still here. I said, I'm enough to come. Save my flight. And yeah, and we had actually we spent Halloween together. We had dinner, we had steaks, and we got a term sheet, and and the rest is history. Do you have any kids? I have a one year old. Yeah. Okay, so so no, no crap. Too young to remember. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. my kids, and, like, it's one of the nights I have to be home. My kids yeah. would kill me. So. Yeah, and, and the funny part in the story is that later in January, uh, JP Morgan, me and Shervin met, and then he told me, he actually emailed me months before. And I was like, what are you talking about? I never got an email from you. And then I went over my email and I saw that I actually did get an email from him, which was a very long uh, blurb. And usually when I get those long blurbs between rounds, I just don't answer them. And I always assume it's an associate because who has time to write such a long and, and thoughtful email? Uh, so I just added to my spam, <laughs> and that that was just an interesting story. But yeah, that's how everything came together on the beast. Okay, the so love hearing your perspective now, Shivan. I'd like to go to your perspective because it sounds like yeah. you you invest multi stage. It sounds like you even identified Benchside before they were introduced to you. So you know, tell me how you became aware of them, why you reached <laughs> out, and what you what you're thinking through this whole process was. Yeah, I mean, so it's funny hearing the other side. I've heard bits of it because they're obviously we talked about it in the past. Um, and mine isn't too too different, um, but it's interesting to contrast the perspective. So, so uh, we had had a perspective on um, software becoming increasingly important in the life sciences and the R and D vertical, right? So, uh, you know, we have a hundred plus portfolio companies in the therapeutic space. Um, a lot of a lot of my colleagues are very uh, very well aware of the trend around the movement towards uh, AI and ML and software being more and more important in R and D. Um, and so we had a thesis that that you know software can help scientists be more productive. Um, historically, the way that investors had invested in that had been in sort of computational drug discovery. You know, software uh, companies trying to develop um, you know. Uh, sort of elicit new targets or develop drugs to, 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 to for those targets. Um, but I think, uh, you know, in some ways, there's also a missing, a whole missing space, which is the, the tools that scientists use, software tools, uh, are often terrible, right? Uh, and it can be as basic as workflow tools, like where are they just putting their results through to sophisticated point solutions like uh, or sophisticated platforms like, like BenchSense, which help people plan their experiments. So, so we were, I was very interested in um, just the retooling of, uh, of, of the software space in the R&D lab. And so we, as Liran had mentioned, we invested in a couple of companies in around that area. And, and um, 
friends of mine had put me on the bench side. Hey, look, you know, we use this uh, in our day job, and um, it could be interesting for you to look at. And so, so, so these I were actually customers. Up. Sorry, these were actually customers. No, 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 just, just friends, just friends. Oh, just uh, friends. Post grad and, and, okay. and just through social social network who had used it before to do some antibody searches, and I had heard about it once or twice. Um, and so I signed up for it using. Um, uh, my MIT alumni email and I played around with it and was on it and, and it looked great, right? And I you know, read about it and uh, did a bit of research and this is a long time before Larry and I, Larry and I spoke and, and uh, so I did reach out. I, re you know, I emailed him and, and said, uh, you know, constructed this very, what I thought was a very thoughtful email <laughs> but clearly didn't work, right? Uh, you know, saying like, you know, hey, here's what we do. Um, here's why I think this is important. I really like what you're doing. Let's chat. You know, and then crickets, right? Nothing. Uh, so I obviously end up in a spam folder, or he ignored me, uh, one or the other. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I sent maybe one or two of those emails, and then and then we were introduced at a later date. And and yeah, because I, you know, because it fitted in so many ways with a core belief that we have, which is that you know, software stack. Liran and his co-founders have obviously been aware of this for much longer than we have. But you know, the core belief that software is changing how R&D and life science research happens, um, I think diligence was relatively quick, right? You know, it was a case of meeting um, Liran and the team and the broader team um, in, the, in the in situ in the office. Um, and, you know, my, my lasting impression of that actually was how diverse and skilled the team is, right? You know, I think that the nature of what they do uh, as he mentioned, you know, it pulls in a lot of scientists and a lot of software developers, a lot of other, you know, product folks. It's just a, it's just a very diverse skill set that you need to make something like um, bench site work. And and that came through actually meeting in the office. So that was that was great, and it was really nice to see them all working together in the pods. Um, and so I think diligence for us was was much more of a formality. Yeah. Um, you know, once we because we had a perspective on the market, once we had met the team in situ and it was working. Uh, and we could see also from, uh, you know, the customer testimonials that that uh, and the traction they were having with with, with with some very very sophisticated pharma pharma clients that uh, that there was there was real substance here. And so I think for us, you know, the diligence was uh, in, in in many ways very very plain sailing. And you know, lots of what you'll read out there says, hey, you have to build a relationship with the VCs. You have, to, and that's so someone knows you and sees how you perform. So how did you get over this with from a diligence perspective? <laughs> Sorry, Daniel. No, Daniel, not now. Look, <laughs> say, wave and go back. Doing this for nine weeks is the first time he's come in. That's great. Take exactly why, <laughs> Daniel. Not now, Daniel. <laughs> so, if you want to invest in the company, it should be Roblox. He's pitching for Robux. Um, he wants me to buy buy him currency on the game. Uh, sorry about that. So, like, so what I was going back to, one minute, Daniel. If you ask me now, you won't get for sure. If you ask me later, maybe. Just, just give it to him. Just buy him whatever he, he wants. He, he'll come back and ask for more in ten minutes. You, you'll, uh, give him your credit card. You, you talk about being direct. He's direct. Um, yeah. So, so you're talking about relationship. Like, you know, you hear about this need for relationships. You need time, especially imagine with a later stage, a B round. It's a lot of you want to do. You want to know what you're you're investing. You always want to know. But so, how are you able to get over not knowing, you know, bench side the team well? And how are you able? Like, it sounds like you had an affinity in research in the market. But how did you get in a compressed time comfortable to getting into this deal? 
Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I do I do think that Liran's right. Actually, you don't have to endlessly meet with investors in between rounds, right? I mean, I think, I think being targeted around who you reach out to, uh, i.e. they know the industry that you're in, and they they probably will have some appreciation for what you're doing. You know, they're they're either big on AI or they're big on life sciences and software. You know, like there's something there's some attribute which allows that relationship to to gel very quickly. Therefore, you don't need to endlessly meet with just generalist investors beforehand. So I do think there's something about that which is absolutely right. Um, and then you know the other part is very human, right? You know, it's uh, um, yeah, I think going. Going, most investors, most good investors do this, right? You, you know, you spend a lot of time um, with the team. You go to the office, you spend the entire day there, if not more. You know, obviously, speak to a lot them a lot by phone. But I think the, you know, the lunches and the breakfast and the in-person meetings and the all-day meetings and the meetings of all the team and getting to know them. Um, you know, you can compress that uh, and get to know someone to some extent. You know, and then the rest is obviously forged in fire over the many years that you're working together. Um, but uh, but I, I do think that that. Uh, that sort of in-person, um, compressed, let's go through everything together and learn about each other and get to know one another is, is very, very important. Um, uh, you know, and it actually causes into question some interesting dynamics in the current crisis, which I think we'll get on to. Yeah. But uh, for me, that in-person visit was pretty important. And then I'm going to flip it to Liron. Um, you know, it sounds like the for the A round, you did your diligence, you built a list of 30 target VCs, and here you did a, like you said, a, a dance to see if you can get a preemptive. How did you feel comfortable? Like, how do you know that you're getting the right partner? How do you do due diligence on F Prime? Yeah, so I obviously heard about F Prime before, um, and really valued them as an investor. Actually, they were they were on the list for the A and 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 for the B at the beginning, but then just from misunderstanding. Um, because they invested in another company in our space, but you know, will there be a competitor? Should we expose all this material and so on? I have from this is a tier one investor um, globally and specifically in Boston. It's actually the perfect fund for us because we're kind of in a gray zone where we're not your typical software company and we're not a biotech. We build a platform and software for scientists to better develop drugs and medicine. And there are a lot of companies in a space because VCs just don't invest in the space because one, there is, well, there's a lot of waste and opportunity. There isn't a lot of their budget, budget spent on software and preclinical and it hasn't been a success story yet. Um, so Ephraim is probably one of the only companies that invest in a specific space. And they're also a fund that's focused half on biotech and half on technology. So it was really a perfect match for us. So that's why Ephraim was, um, a great fit. We always have a list of VCs that we think are a good fit, and that's what we do between rounds. We just maintain that list. And in terms of that initial dance, it is just really a balance of okay, I'm going to talk to five or six or seven or eight. Four of them actually don't really want to raise money from. I just want to test the story and see if it makes sense and get feedback and what can be done better. And four, you actually do. So that's how we structured uh, that initial. List and we did that in a way with DA, where the first couple of meetings were investors that we didn't really want to raise money from, but we really had to test uh, does the story make sense or not, and you just iterate very, very, very fast. Cool. And then, well, so I, I ended up in his I ended up in his spam box, and I was one of the first ones he spoke to. So I don't know. Coming away from this call, I'm, I'm getting so, more and more nervous that I was an afterthought. So, Shervin, obviously, you um, either gave way too much or a good salesperson. 
<laughs> we, we all, um, yeah. But like talking about talking about terms, like beyond, you know, I think there's a big fascination with valuation. <laughs> but you know, it, you know, how did you approach with a B round? I think terms, the other terms become more important. And also, again, going back, what I'm trying to understand is also the working relationship because. Even if you know this late stage, I imagine you have a view that the investment's five, six years you're gonna be working together. So how do you get comfortable? Like what expectations beyond price were set during this week long or two week discussions that you know you could work together, you got a similar view and, and what were the commitments to each other on you know beyond, beyond having good financial returns? I'm happy either one. Or do you answer want to answer that? that? I mean, I, I can have it. I mean, I think we spent a lot of time actually talking about product, product roadmap, if I remember. Um, you know, and which I think was really quite frankly the more interesting part of any diligence for me. Um, uh, it, it, you know, even though this was earlier than they wanted to raise, the, the traction at Benchside then as now is great, right? <laughs> so I'm behind it. I'm behind it. Um, <laughs> Daniel. Sorry. Uh, no worries. You can get them when I'm off. I'll get them for you. <laughs> I don't want to hear why. Okay. 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 I'll get it for you in 10 minutes, 20 minutes. <laughs> Another sales um, pitch. Sorry about that. No worries. No worries. Yeah. I mean, so, so look, we spent, obviously spent some time looking at what they were predicting, what they are predicting for sales and, um, but things things are going great on that front, and we're going great as well. Um, we spent a lot of time talking about products and um, what they wanted to build out, and um, you know, Liran is is far more conversant in that. But I, I remember a lot of discussions around um, where the product's going to go and and uh, what other reagents um, they're going to add to the platform or what else they will do. Um, and uh, yeah, we spent. I think in the course of that, um, I developed a lot of confidence in in uh you know our ability to work together because it's not like we he was just saying what he wanted to build and i was nodding away vigorously like we were kind of it was it was almost like a quasi board meeting before before a board meeting um we both had strong perspectives on whether i should have or not i don't know but um but uh but yeah we spent a lot of time on the product roadmap and, <laughs> and then liran from your perspective what were you trying to make sure, like how, how are you judging if you can work with Sherman and what were your concerns on that front or was it? Yeah, so one, I don't think you can actually ever know. Like, I think even when you hire someone, how much you go through, how many rounds, how many people meet with that person. And in many cases, was it even the right fit? Um, so how can you actually, actually know? So there's always that risk. Um, I think chemistry is really important. And someone told me this, um, uh, an investor friend from Emergence gave me this uh, rule of thumb that actually I've been following since. Um, I asked him how does he, he asked actually another mentor, how how does that person make a decision who he wants to work with and when invest? And he said, well, it's pretty simple. I just look at my energy level after I meet them. If my energy level is really low, the person is just, and I think it's also true for, by the way, employees and colleagues, the person just drains my energy and my energy level is so low that like I just can't. But sometimes the energy level is really high. And me and Shervin say what we think to each other and we challenge each other a lot uh, and we'll have passionate discussions. Uh, but the energy level afterward is great because we know both yeah. of us are coming from a good place and we care about the company and we want it to be successful and we do that respectfully. And 
it's a safe environment where we can challenge each other. And I think if it goes too far, we call each other to apologize. And I think it's a healthy relationship and both of us are committed and wanting to be successful. So, um, in addition to that, by the way, we also did calls before, right? To check, and as I'm sure Shervin did about us, uh, to ask about Ephraim, to ask about Shervin. Um, one of our investors is really good friends with a managing uh, partner at, at uh, Ephraim. And at this stage, honestly, what I care about the most is knowing we work with good people. Because investors' job is not to run the company, it's not to execute, it's your job as a CEO and, and your management team. Uh, investors are there to provide capital, to provide guidance, to provide governance. Um, and it's up to the founders, the executive teams, and so on to execute. But you want to make sure you're going on this journey with people who have integrity. They're good people. They're obviously smart, but just to give you the right type of energy. And then, what it's, so that gets us up to the investment. Obviously, there was a partnership made. It's been seven months. So how have you interacted since? Is it like... It's obviously beyond board meetings. I think that's one of the big fallacies. You get investment, you get, you know, you see, then you see the investor, you give monthly updates and you see a board meeting. So how have you worked together? How have you, you know, how's, uh, what's the relationship like? And what do you guys, is it like a text message when you need help? Is it weekly calls? Like, and how does, how's it benefit both of you? Would you like to start or should I? Feel free. Why don't you start? Uh, so he just added added uh, me to the Slack board channel, which he created this week. So <laughs> it's uh, it's 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 pretty regular, uh, and and uh, I think it's something that I really value actually. So um, it's ebbed and flowed, obviously, because he's running the business, and there are a thousand things he's doing, which um, he probably doesn't need any any input on. Um, but I think Lauren's really great about soliciting input from people um, at all levels actually from his employees as well as from his board around decisions and and things that come up um, and so if there are decisions you know whatever they might be sales related people related product related that he feels we can help with um, uh, he's you know he'll absolutely uh, you know ping us individually or often um, collectively it's not a huge board it's only um, you know a couple of people and a board observer who is great um, so we're, we're convened or have been convened fairly regularly um, outside of board meetings uh, and then we interact fairly regularly um, uh, either with a text or an email or a quick call or something. So. Uh, for us, one of the things that it's one of our core values in the company is transparency. Okay. And that applies to the board as well. Like when when well, when we got started with this, like for me there was one rule in my head: no matter what, no surprises with the board, and integrity yeah. comes first. And whatever happens, everyone needs to have visibility to it. And when you start, you you're only in an experiment, right? You have no idea if it's going to work or not. Um, obviously, you're going to give your all, but ninety nine percent chance you're going to fail, and you have to be okay with that. Um, and for me, as long as I have my integrity and I kept my integrity, then I'll be okay with that. And transparency for me is just very much related to it. So never surprises, never keep anything from the board. And that's a big part of the communication. So we send, even till this day, um, 100 people, weekly updates to every the board and the company, monthly updates to the board and the company. People in the company know what's our cash flow and that's in a weekly update and our, in our burn. 
And I think we came to a really good spot now with the board meeting where we actually send this 20 page pre-read that every one of the executives fills out. And when we come to the board meeting, it's not that, hey, let me read you what we wrote there. We just discuss for a few hours. And in between there are decisions that while the board doesn't, well, it might not be required for the board's input on it. I think it's very important. The board has transparency about it and sees it. And that actually saves you time in the long run because everyone is aligned. The business moves so yeah. fast. And if you don't keep everyone tied in a line, it's also, I think, hard for the board to to work together because people are just on, um, have different information. So we meet monthly. Uh, we don't have one-on-ones or anything like that, but probably talk every week, uh, whether it's via email, Slack, phone, um, and and so on. So I love that. Okay, yeah, I'm really, just to comment on that, I really love the, I think the update that you give and the fact they give them the, the, the updates that go to the company that they give to the board is really, really helpful. And they don't pull any punches on those. You know, there's, there's good and bad, like things that have worked, things that haven't worked. And, and you get a really good sense for the rhythm of, of what, and you know, they break it out by product, by sales, by everything. Um, uh, so it's, it's just a nice way of really keeping, as a board member, keeping in touch with what's going on. Um, you know, on a related note, I, I think one of the things that I try to do is um, bring in more parts of F Prime so that everyone has contact with them. So, so we have venture partners who are in the pharma industry. We have other team members who um, will come to and listen in on board meetings. Uh, I do think this is an interesting thing amongst VCs and their their portfolio companies. I, I, I think it's good for portfolio company CEO to have multiple points of contact at a VC. Um, it just helps with um, you know leveraging the whole firm and also just helps help just create uh, just network them better. You know and, and achieve what they want to achieve. So. I think it's one of those things, that it's a little bit old school to be so siloed away on one partner and one VC yeah. or one person VC. It's nice to have a broader coverage. And I know all the investors around the table at BenchSite also feel similarly and do, do similar things. And that actually worked both both sides. So what's actually great is yeah. that it reduces the workload for me because now the board members just go to our executive team and just okay. talk to them. And again, if you have if you have full transparency, yeah. then you're okay with that. I know some CEOs won't be okay with that because they want to control the conversations. What you continue to get the board is not what's communicating truly and so on. But I was talking to our VP engineering uh, yesterday and he was like, I have a hard stop. I'm talking to Antoine. I was like, why are you talking to our board member? And I was like, oh, he wants to ask me a bunch of stuff. How we dealt with COVID. I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is so great. And that, that flow of information just works both ways, which really... I, I think it's also improved the entire relationship and tightens the the the, the VC and the, the venture. Well, I imagine it sounds like you have very transparent and open communications, and it's not just at the top level, but throughout the organization. So, I imagine that, like you said, it keeps everyone aligned and also helps you get more leverage from the contacts and knowledge that F Prime has. I see a question from Arvin. I won't go to that question right away, but I'll use it as a pivot to like our God. I read read pivot there, and I said, uh, you know. Question there is involves COVID. So, uh, Liron, you, you mentioned you were originally planning to raise probably in Q1 or Q2. Um, it's a good thing you didn't. But beyond that, like, how has COVID affected your business, and what what changes yeah. have you had to do? Um, yeah, so we're planning on raising Q1. Uh, how COVID impacted our business? So we entered COVID, and I couldn't think in a more luckier spot. So we just raised. Uh, 22 uh, US plus a line of credits. Um, so we had a lot of money and we haven't deployed that money yet. 
So we were planning on hiring, I think, 70, 80 people, and we only hired up 20 people. And we have a lot of money. It's not deployed yet. We're in an industry that theoretically should not be impacted by this because yeah. we serve companies that are fighting COVID. Uh, but immediately when that happened, um, I think the entire venture industry was talking about how you have no idea what this means. This is going to be here for the long run. It's a recession. Extend your runway by at least six months or at least 24 months. Uh, we took that to heart. And I think as a leadership team, we need to be responsible or overly responsible with the livelihood of our employees, right? So it's not only the well-being of them, of our employees, which we move remote immediately. It's also the well-being, and we understood that very fast. So we got the, the team together, um, and instead, and the goal was to reduce our cost by 25% to get an extra six, eight months of runway just in case. So instead of myself and the head of finance kind of doing it together in a room, going again from a place of transparency and trust, we actually called the, all of the leadership team and asked them, hey, we're not going to change our yearly targets. We're going to keep it exactly the same, but we need to cut anything that you think is not mission critical. And we need to do it in 24, 48 hours. Okay. And they did that. They actually say we saved way more than we thought than if myself and the Brina head of finance would have done ourselves. And we didn't let anyone go because of COVID and we're on track to hit our uh, yearly targets. Uh, but what we did do is one, we used to spend almost a million dollars a year on travel. Well, that went away. <laughs> um, we did an audit of all of our spend around software, uh, cloud and so on. And we saved a few hundreds of thousands of dollars there. Our, a lot of our marketing strategy was actually doing an in-person event that we're supposed to spend around a million dollars on. Well, that did not happen. And we reevaluate our hiring plans. So we didn't fire anyone, but we sat down with ourselves and said, okay, do we actually need to hire this many people? And the answer was no. So we reduced that by around 30 people. And that's a tendency you have to do when you raise a lot of money, then you don't even know what to do with. So it's okay, let's just hire a lot of people. And it's, it's, it's funny because when you, the way we approach kind of projections and rounds, we put a, a conservative numbers of where we think we're going to be with uh, revenue because we actually want the investor to think we're underestimating the market size and so on. And we overestimate with how much money we're going to spend because we're yeah. trying to hit a certain valuation and you need to raise a certain amount of money. <laughs> and immediately after that happens, I think, and Shervin called me out on that. I was like, listen, I know this is what you're doing, which that's what I appreciate in the relationship. And he was like, okay, we don't actually need to hire to spend all this money and hire all these people. So we cut that down by 25% before COVID. And then we said to ourselves again, and like, okay, we actually don't need 170 people. We can probably do the same thing with 100 people. Uh, but when you have so much money and you're kind of committed to in your story that you need this money, then, then you have a tendency of spending it. But that's how um, we adjusted to COVID. And in terms of the impact on our business, um, the first couple of weeks, radio silence. Everyone just, people were in shock, even our in industry. And even if you thought you were important before, what's important right now is just business continuity and how do you even function as a pharma or as a business when no one can come to the office. So it was really radio silence for a few weeks. And after that, um, pretty much went back to normal and beyond. We had our best quarter yet, actually, uh, in history. Uh, Congratulations. This quarter. Uh, thank you. And 
it's just understanding where you also fit in that story. Uh, okay, so you have to actually be better at what you do right now, more productive, more efficient, and that's something that we help with. So that's, again, I think we're just in a really lucky spot compared to startups that are in the travel, restaurants, um, and other businesses. So, uh, Shervin, I'll, I'll flip the question to you, but I'll take what Aravind said there. Um, he was basically asking, you know, how does the investor, you know, how involved are you in basically making decisions? He's talked particularly about a pivot, but just overall, how, like, what have you done with your portfolio companies to help them adjust to COVID? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, so when, when COVID happened, I think there's a, there's a priority towards <coughs> helping everyone, right? So at F Prime, also employees and portfolio companies. So um, at a base level, there was kind of, okay, um, let's share uh, kind of information we're putting together on health and wellness for our employees with our portfolio companies. So uh, there was a level of that um, to the extent that that hadn't been done by each individual company. Um, we would share how we're thinking about how we think this pandemic is going to play out. Uh, we have a lot of doctors on the team um, who are very helpful in briefing myself and others. Um, and we've, we've shared their perspectives and their views on how to keep employees safe and healthy during this time. So, so uh, when asked for, we've um, certainly um, uh, offered that up. And I think that should be the priority. Uh, then as it comes to sort of business metrics and how to think about running your company, you know, VCs, I think, are at an interesting point because they sit at the center of maybe a couple hundred portfolio companies, all of whom are going through the, through the same thing, you know, some of which Iran mentioned. And so I think, um, uh, you know, sharing uh, where we have heard of uh, kind of best practices or just, just sort of sensible practices, uh, connecting, um, you know, individuals at different portfolio companies that, you know, head of sales. We had a, a sort of head of sales virtual roundtable um, where people could share their common concerns um, uh, around how COVID is going to affect the ability of the sales team to ramp up. And uh, even though it's different industries, uh, there's certain base common elements. So um, trying to be that sort of uh, uh, nexus of information and threading uh, different portfolio companies together is, is probably how a VC can be most useful. I think in addition, uh, to also trying to just provide a base level of health and, and, and wellness information that, uh, that certainly I've found as an employee that I find very useful from uh, many of uh, uh, my doctor colleagues. Um, uh, yeah, so. Well, that, that, I think those are both very important. I think you're unique in that you could provide health and wellness, which given all the rumors flying around over the last, you know, at the beginning of this is probably very yeah. helpful to lots of founders to get some guidance on that. Um, I'll, yeah. I'll take one last question uh, before I let you guys go. Uh, this one's from Pierre. And this is for Liran. He basically said, look, um, communication seems to be, you know, I guess communication and transparency uh, is very important to your business. Was this a pre-planned strategy or is this something that you discovered along the way and made part of the corporate culture? So was the business built from scratch? With... So I'll, I'll tell you kind of from my perspective, how everything started. So. I would like to say everything was intentionally, but obviously it's not. Uh, and culture is usually kind of foreign. And then when you're probably 20 people and so on, you start to sit down and think about it and see what form, what you want to change, uh, as long as you did early on. In terms of transparency, yes, we were like this um, from day one. And it actually comes from, I'm sure a lot of people here heard about the hard things about hard things. Uh, it's a really great book. I highly recommend. 
And he talks about there around, you can't just talk constantly. It's not just fair to constantly say what's going well. It's not fair for for a couple of reasons. It's not fair for yourself because basically you're kind of keeping everything that's not going well on you and not holding other people accountable or that you did. Um, and two, it's also not fair for the employees in the company because they want the company to be successful. And how can they be successful and understand what to do and how to make an impact if they just live in this world where I think everything is awesome and everything is great. So that really stuck with me. And <laughs> before we raised our A round, we had nine months of runway and we were around 17 people. And I remember we had kind of like a town hall and I told everyone, listen, like this is what we have to do this quarter. And basically if we don't do it, I don't know if there's a company moving forward because we need, we need six months before we go and raise the round, raise the round. And the story has to be written down like in the next two, three months. So where we are at this point, really matters for us to be able to raise and that was scary to say because you don't know how people are going to react but also learn through this process that really if you come from a place of trust and not fear the outcomes are much much better and the funny thing in this in the story is that uh, one of our investors there used to be a starbucks across the street from us and it was me and my investor uh, on the same day <laughs> uh, so he came up to me and we're in the meeting and he said you know, just uh, the employees did not know who I am, but I just saw two of them because they were wearing Benchai t-shirts uh, having coffee. And one of them said that they can't believe that you shared with them what you shared uh, and how crazy that is uh, in, in a good way. So that was um, kind of how we always were. Another big part of this was my personal experience with uh, Bert, uh, who is our on our board and our first investor. So I started this, I was, when I entered the company and, and went on this journey, I was 30. Never done anything in this scale, never raised back then $1.4 million. And I have this, when you kind of enter your 30s, uh, you lose your arrogance with your 20s. <laughs> and you kind of understand how much you don't know and you're okay with that and don't think you know everything. So Bird was a co-founder and CTO at Del Reno. There were 700 okay. people and they sold in their 90s. Um, it was a huge Canadian exit back then. And, you know, never had a board member investor. Usually what you hear and when you talk to other people, it's like, oh, they suck. Don't let them in. Don't tell them stuff. They're going to fire you and so on. And I remember I was talking about this with my wife and I kind of had an option. I was like, I'm 30. I have 30, like 30 years of experience. I can let them all in and just share with them everything that's going on and really rely on him as a mentor because he's been here and he's done that and has experience. And as I was kind of talking to her and saying, should I do it or not? I was like, I'm going to need it if I don't do that because it's an amazing opportunity for me to grow as a professional, as a person and, and be a better leader and a better CEO. And that had full transparency. And we talked like for an hour on the phone, like three times a week and, Bird is a caller and I'm a caller, so it went great. And cool. and that experience and kind of everything, that's, I think, what transpired the entire transparency. And um, I think that's so important. Every time we made a decision that comes from a place of trust of people and not from a place of fear, the outcome has been phenomenal. And the reality is also if you have a smart team, which I'm sure a lot of people do, they're all very talking about all this stuff and, and they're thinking about it. So we might as well just talk about it and and get things straight. Cool. Appreciate that answer. Um, Shervin and Liran, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.